can you really believe that Jesus is worth all this? What trouble Paul and Silas got themselves into? What sense is there for believing that Jesus, who was rejected by his own people, who died as a criminal between two thieves, what sense there is, is there in believing that this Jesus is the hope of all mankind? What sense does that make? And what sense does it make to have Jesus turn your life upside down so that you become the scorn of all mankind? Does this make any sense to you? Well, that is the question that you and I all have to ask and answer. And it is a serious question, isn't it? Because just in the last chapter, in Acts chapter 16, we saw how Paul and Silas, they were severely beaten and put in prison. Now, it's not that they committed some heinous crimes or they hurt some people, uh, by no means. They were severely beaten and put in jail because they proclaimed Jesus. That was the reason. But then something amazing happened too. Paul and Silas, they were severely injured and in jail with their, with their body, with their feet bound. And yet in jail, they were not groaning. They were not cursing God or people. They were not complaining. Paul and Silas, they, they prayed and they sang hymns to God in jail. And I'm sure we read in chapter 16 that everyone in jail, they were listening to them. I'm sure you could have heard a pin drop in that place. Because you see, these people there, they had never seen prisoners singing. You see, we saw in Paul and Silas, there was an invincible constancy that pain and suffering could not silence. Now, eventually, the authorities learned that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, and then they realized that they had illegally detained them and, and inflicted harm upon them, which exposed them to grave danger. And so these authorities, they apologized profusely to Paul and Silas, and they asked them to leave Philippi. And Paul and Silas left Philippi. They traveled about 100 miles uh, west to Thessalonica. And if you, um, after church today, if you pull up Google Maps or Apple Maps, if you type in Thessalonica, it's spelled almost exactly the same as it is in the Bible. It will bring you to that place in Greece where these things are taking place. Uh, it's about 100 miles west uh, from uh, Philippi, and that's where they came. And then something almost inexplicable happens. Once again, Paul and Silas, having just been in jail for preaching Christ, as soon as they arrived in Thessalonica, immediately, once again, it's as if they learned nothing. <laughs> immediately, they began to proclaim Jesus again. And so the question is, why why do they persevere in the work that brings them nothing but suffering and pain? 
Well, this is the passage that that helps us to see the answers to why there is such an invincible constancy and why it is that Paul and Silas endured and persevered. And the first reason is, is because God, God is drawing people to Jesus. God is drawing people to Jesus. It's really helpful to understand what is motivating these people and what is motivating them is what they had learned from Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 44, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, our salvation is not our doing. No one can come to Jesus and find Jesus to be their Lord and Savior unless the Father draws them to Jesus. And if that is how anyone and everyone becomes a believer, the question is, how does the Father draw people to Jesus? And we see that God draws people to Jesus through the Word and through His Spirit. Uh, Once again, uh, other parts of scriptures really help us to understand this. Uh, Paul will write sometime later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, where he writes, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. God draws people to Jesus to find Jesus to be their Savior and Lord through the Holy Spirit. And of course, we saw this in chapter 16, didn't we? It was the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of Jesus, who led Paul and Silas to Philippi. And it was that same Spirit of the Lord we read who opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So it was the Holy Spirit who enabled Lydia to understand and believe Paul's exposition of scriptures. And that is why God's strong hand sustained Paul and Silas. God preserved the means by which he draws people to Christ. Because the Lord draws people to Christ by the Spirit and by the Word, God is sustaining Paul and Silas in order that they may continue in the ministry of the Word of God because that is the means by which people are brought to Jesus. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, we read this verse earlier uh, during our worship service. Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, what happens is that when the word of God is preached in the power of the Spirit, when the Spirit blesses and is present in the preaching of the word of God, what people hear is not just the voice of the preacher, When the word of God is proclaimed faithfully in the presence and the power of the Spirit, what people hear in the preached word is the voice of their Savior Jesus calling them. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. You see, that is why when Paul and Silas, when they arrived in Thessalonica, they went immediately into the Jewish synagogue and they reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. You see, one of the things that was so baffling to the Jewish hearers was the fact that Jesus, who was rejected by his own people, that Jesus who died a shameful death in between two thieves, that Jesus is the glorious Messiah promised in the Old Testament. And that Jesus rejected by everyone who died in shame, that that Jesus is the hope of all mankind. And that is why, that is why Paul shows them from scriptures that the Messiah, Jesus, had to suffer. He had to die. And that he had to rise. And when Paul proclaimed Christ, the Spirit opened the hearts of God's elect, and they heard Jesus say to them, I had to die because I bore your sins on the cross. That's why I died. I died for you. And when Paul proclaimed the word, the Spirit gave them understanding so that they heard Jesus saying to them, And I rose from the dead that I might make you righteous. And I rose from the dead that I might make you rise from the dead. And so we read, that's how God drew people to Christ. And so some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And that also explains, doesn't it, why Paul and Silas faced violent opposition wherever they went proclaiming the name of Christ. Because, you know, there is actually a spiritual kingdom that hates to see Jesus honored and exalted and adored as Lord and Savior. You have to understand that. That there is a spiritual warfare, and we see that spiritual warfare spilling out into the streets here. Some Jews agitated the crowd and drove Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica. There is a spiritual kingdom and spiritual powers that is always and ever opposed to God's purpose, that will always deny, hinder, obscure the message of Jesus Christ because this spiritual kingdom cannot stand to see Jesus exalted and loved as our Lord and Savior. And so it it appears, doesn't it, on first glance that Paul and Silas, despite their faithful labors, are facing opposition that never ends. But did you notice what Luke says in verse 10? The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Who did this? The brothers. And I think what happened is that 
they, Paul and Silas, they labor at least for three weeks. And actually, I think when we read First and Second Thessalonians, the letters that Paul later sends to these cities, Paul and Silas stay there and labor there for some time. And even though they continue to face opposition and hindrance, God caused Paul and Silas' gospel ministry to bear fruit. That there was formed in Thessalonica a community of believers, Christians. And so what happens, what we see here is, yes, the enemy stirs up trouble to hinder and oppose the gospel and divide the church. But God uses that same trouble to strengthen the love of the believers toward one another. And these new Christians, you see here already loving, protecting, serving Paul and Silas so that they may continue the work of the gospel. That's what God is doing in Thessalonica. God is drawing people to Jesus. And the second thing we see is how the Bereans receive the word. How the Bereans receive the word. So Paul and Silas, they leave Thessalonica and they arrived in Berea. Uh, this place is now spelled a little bit differently. It's spelled V-E. Uh, R-I-A, and once again, if you type, it, type this name, V-E-R-I-A, into your Google map or Apple map, what have you, the place will pop up. And it's about 50 miles west of Thessalonica. And when Paul and Silas arrived there, uh, we read here, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, what is it that the Berean uh, people are examining? They're examining Paul's message. And Paul's message to the Bereans was the same message that he proclaimed in Thessalonica. And so we know exactly what he was teaching the Bereans because in verses 2 and 3, we, uh, we read that Paul, when he went into the synagogue in Thessalonica, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So what Paul did, he connected the Old Testament Messiah with Jesus who died and rose again. And Paul demonstrated how the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in Christ and could only be fulfilled in Christ. And surely, uh, Paul explained Jesus' death on the cross from places like Isaiah chapter 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, the scriptures of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus and could only be fulfilled in Jesus because every human person 
We are born sinners in enmity against God, and we have our own sins to pay. That means we are in no position, no human being is in any position to die for another person's sin when they have their own sins to deal with. That is why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin, who lived a sinless life, who lived a righteous life. He, as the spotless Lamb of God, He who had no sin, He was the only one who was uniquely qualified to to take uh, take upon Himself the sins of His people. And He died. That's the meaning of Jesus' death. And that is why this Jesus who, who was crucified and died, He and He alone can be our Savior. And surely Paul also proclaimed Christ from places like Psalm 16, verse 10. And if not that verse, or others like it. In Psalm 16, we read, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You see, God received the sacrifice of Jesus' body, but he raised him from the dead. And in raising Jesus from the dead, God was making a declaration to all those who accused him of crimes worthy of death. In raising Jesus from the dead, God made a declaration saying, my son He is not guilty. My son is righteous. And as a righteous one, he deserves to live. And as the righteous one, he does not deserve to see his body undergo corruption of the grave. And you see, this is why Jesus is worth the trouble. Because there is no other one, no other Savior who can save us from God's wrath. There is no one else who can take our sins upon him and and die and endure God's wrath. And there is no one else who, out of his righteousness, is declared to be worthy of eternal life and rises. And there is no one who can give us the life to us but Jesus. You see, that's why, that's why Paul and Silas persevered. But now notice what happened to the Bereans. When they heard Paul preach to them, we read here that the Bereans possess a noble mindset. They carefully tested Paul's words against the scriptures. And loved ones, this, this is how we should respond to a message that claims to be from God. When we hear someone say, does, as says the Lord, we need to test it against God's scriptures and see if it is indeed the case that the Lord is speaking. Because we cannot rest our faith on man's authority. The authority to command our conscience and the authority to demand our obedience rests in God's word alone. And that's why the Holy Spirit praises the Bereans as being noble. They heard a message which was proclaimed to be in the name of God, 
but they examined the message. They tested the message against the scriptures. Because one, God does not contradict himself. God will not say one thing in scriptures and send prophets or preachers in his name who contradict what he has spoken in his word. And if anyone, and this is later what Paul writes in Galatians, doesn't he? If even an angel comes and preaches to you a different message, let them be anathema, let them be eternally cursed. And that's the mindset that we need to have because the only authority to demand our obedience, the only authority to bind our conscience rests in the word of God. And if the message is truly and indeed from God according to scriptures, then, then the only right response is to humbly receive and believe. And that's what many Bereans did. We read here that many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now do you see here how both men and women carefully studied God's word. Men and women, Jew and Gentile alike, carefully studied the word of God, tested Paul's message against scriptures, and became obedient to the word. And when the Holy Spirit calls them noble, as he does in verse 11, the spirit means for us to follow their examples. You know, this is, this is why it is so important that in a church, not just the pastor, not just the elders, but every believer should have a deep, a full-orbed and well-balanced understanding of God's Word. You see, sometimes there is a dynamic when members of the church, they appreciate, they, they love their ministers, and they, they sort of put their mind in a neutral gear and say, you know, I trust my pastor. Whatever he says is good with me. I believe whatever he says. Well, that's really lovely on the one hand, <laughs> but it is at the same time not biblical. And it is dangerous. And that is why every man and every woman, whether you are young or old, we need to be constantly growing in the knowledge of the Word of God so that your faith and your life can be built upon the only authority that matters, which is the Word of God, not the authority of your pastor, not the authority of your elders or your favorite author or conference speaker. All of us, we need to know God's word, understand it. You know, that is why, you know, we encourage you so frequently to study, read. And I fully understand that God has given each and every one of us different callings. We have different stations and circumstances in life. And not all of us have the luxury, and let's face it, it is a luxury that you kindly have offered me to sit down and study. It's a gift that you have given me, and I'm so grateful. I get to do that because you allow me. 
And most of it don't have that kind of luxury. And so I understand you cannot be reading and studying the Bible to uh, spend as much time as I do. You know, you, you have different callings in your life, which is just as important as my calling. And your ability to, to uh, take in is vastly different than mine uh, in terms of the time that I can put into it. And there are many other uh, different uh, circumstances that, that have a bearing on that, don't they? But the point is that whenever you hear the word of God, you receive it with mindfulness. You receive it with humility. You receive it with the desire to understand and grow. Not, not to simply take other people's word for it. But that over the course of your life, you are growing and you are making progress. That's what the Holy Spirit calls noble and the Spirit means, us, uh, means for us to follow that pattern. Finally, since you can see, I hope, how important it is to interact rightly with the Word of God, we end with this. Listen to hear Jesus. Listen to hear Jesus. Now, once again, we see here how some Jews from Thessalonica arrived, and they stir up the crowds against Paul, and those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, which is about a 300-mile voyage, and Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Now, think about what's happening here. Whether in Thessalonica or in Berea, Paul is preaching, he's teaching the same message. He is reading and preaching explaining the same scriptures, giving them the same message. But some people heard that message, they believed it, and they were saved. Other people, they heard that same message, they rejected it, and they were lost. And we must be careful how we hear in this, Matthew chapter 13 is very helpful. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a parable of the sower uh, in order to teach us how God's word ought to be received and how God's word bears fruit. And in the parable of the sower, Jesus uh, tells a story how the sower goes out to sow, uh, sow and scatter the seed, and some seeds fell along the path and were quickly devoured by birds. Some seeds fell on rocky, shallow ground, and not being able to put down deep root, it was soon scorched by the heat. Some seeds fell on thorns and among thorn bushes and were quickly choked to death. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced a great Harvest. Now, whatever does the parable even mean? You don't have to guess because if you keep on reading, Jesus actually explains to you what that parable means. By this parable, Jesus meant that the word of God that we hear will be snatched away by the evil one when we don't understand it. That's the seed that falls on the path and is 
devoured by the birds. When you hear the word of God, and if you, if you don't put in the, the effort, the time to understand it, the word that you have heard will be snatched away by the evil one, Jesus says. Um, the seeds that fall on shallow, rocky soil that never has a chance to grow. Jesus explains that in terms of the persecution that comes on account of the name of Jesus, it causes people to abandon the word. The seeds that fall along thorns, Jesus explains that it is the deceitfulness of riches that keep the word of God from bearing fruit. You know, isn't it interesting? So many of our life goals really is really about avoiding pain and about acquiring wealth. <laughs> you know, and Jesus says these two things are the very things that will that will make sure that the word of God will never grow and bear fruit for you. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. Do you understand what Jesus says in terms of the importance of understanding? The word, if you don't understand it, the evil one takes it away. If you do understand it, if you treasure it in your heart, then the word of God grows and bears fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. So, loved ones, here's my exhortation and encouragement for you. Above all things, seek to understand the word. It's not that it is wrong to live to avoid pain, but what will you do if the name of Christ brings pain upon you? If your whole life is about avoiding pain, inevitably you will turn from God. And it's not that it is wrong to work to to make ourselves a comfortable living. It's not that that is wrong, but if that's all you're living for, what will you do if the name of Christ begins to cost you? If for the sake of Christ, you have to say no in order that you may follow Christ. All these things have their place, but above all things, Above all things, seek to understand the word of God and treasure it in your heart. Because then, then you will hear the Savior calling you. And when you hear the Savior's voice calling you, follow him. Hear him who says to you, I died for you that you might be free. I died for you that you might be forgiven. I died for you because I love you. 
and hear the voice of the one who says to you, I rose and I live to make intercession for you. I rose and I live that I may raise you from the dead. Hear the voice of the Savior who says to you, come to me and I will give you eternal life. Jesus will not lead you astray and he will lead you with grace into glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we have heard, and we pray, O Lord, that we may be as Paul and Silas, we may be as the Bereans, to to be wise and to be devoted to learn your word, to, to have our hearts and our minds and our lives be shaped by your word, that we may receive with meekness and with humility all that you teach us so that our lives will be one that brings praise and honor and glory to the Lord Jesus, so that our lives will end in the place of joy and glory. So, Father, please encourage us to love your word and help us to see in your word our beautiful Savior and help us to hear in your word the voice of our Savior Jesus. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.